Usually when the word fasting comes up, it offends as many people as the word giving does. And you would think those words would be normal in church, but there's a lot of people that are like, what? You want me not to eat something? But if you get into Luke 11, the Bible says this. There are three things Jesus teaches and He talks about. And He makes it pretty clear about how He says it. As a matter of fact, the chapter starts off saying Jesus was in a certain place praying. And when His disciples came to Him, they said, Master, teach us to pray. Then Jesus makes this statement. He says, when you pray. Now, I've never really met a Christian, and I've never really even met even people that aren't serving the Lord not understand the need for prayer. Because just about anybody I've ever met, when you get them in a hard situation or a tough situation, usually the first thing they do is pray. Or... I've, I've, I've dealt with some really hard people in life. And when they go through hard situations, this is what they'll say. Is, I say, man, can I do anything? Well, just pray. Just pray. Prayer is not even a concept that Christians battle with. They understand that I should pray. And I believe that's why Jesus said, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. It was when because it's an expected thing. Jennifer, you know, me and Jennifer are married. She expects me. To come home when I'm supposed to come home. It's an expected thing because of the commitment and the relationship me and her have. There's certain expectations. She expects me to take out the garbage, which sometimes I forget to. But she, there's expectations in our relationship. And the Bible says that prayer is an expectation for believers. When you pray, he said. And then as you read on down the chapter, he makes another statement in there. He says... When you give. Ooh, and that just hurts people. Because people don't mind usually understanding that I'm supposed to pray. But oh God, now you're getting in my pocketbook. You need to understand something. It's expected that we give. It is. It is expected. Out of the relationship that I have with God, there's an expectation. This is what T.D. Jake says. He says, anyone you love, you take care of. He said he walked into a house one time and there was a husband and a wife there and he walked in, him and his wife were house shopping. He walked into the house and he tells us in one of his messages, he says, and he walked out and he looked at his wife and said, they won't be married long. And she goes, why do you say that? And he said, because there was nothing in that house that that husband has bought for that wife. Everything in that house was what he bought for himself. When you love somebody, you support somebody. My kids... Do not have to get up in the morning and worry, is there going to be food for them to eat that day? Because they know they got a daddy that loves them. And no matter what it costs me, no matter what i got to do, I'm going to make sure them girls are taken care of. Because that's an expected action out of a relationship that consists of them. So, i got to be honest with you, if you have a problem giving, you need to check your relationship with the Lord. Because it's not an if you give. It's Jesus said when you give. Then the next one is the odd one. He says, when you fast. Not if you fast. There's an expectation. And I want to talk about that just for a minute because going into this year, you know, I want to explain to you that there, there, God, there are certain expectations that are in our relationship with God that what He does is He puts those there because He wants the best for us. Meaning this... 
The reason why he said when you pray is because he understands the power of prayer in your life. You need to know this. Nothing on this earth ever happens from heaven until somebody here on earth prays for it. The Bible says you have not lest you ask not. Because if someone, the, the whole reason why you're saved, I'm here to tell you this, it's because somebody before you got saved prayed that God would save you. You're an answer to somebody's prayer. Whether it be a grandmother, whether it be you know, a mother, a father, whether it be a church that was praying for the next generation. Heaven is an exchange. Nothing ever comes from heaven unless something first from earth goes up. God can do nothing on this earth that we have not prayed for first. And you say, well, Cricket, I don't agree with that. Well, just don't pray anymore. Just don't do it and you'll see. The hand of God will not be able to actively be at work in your life. Saying that to say this, God wants to answer your prayers. But the expectation of prayer is, if we'll pray it, God will do it. Alright? And so we have to pray. When we get, when we get, when it came into the expectation of giving. Man, God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be blessed. Do you think, well, being blessed would be me saving and saving and saving everything I got? No, God's system is different than our system. When you give, the Bible says, it comes back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Spiritual things don't make sense. Because they're not natural. They're supernatural. They're better than natural. And so, fasting is another one of those supernatural Activities that we get to take part in. Now, when I say this, and I'm going to get into it just for a bit, but I know I might step on a lot of toes when I say this, but I don't agree with personally. You know, there's a lot of preachers that get up and say, if you ain't just drinking water, you ain't fasting. I don't agree with that. Because the Bible says in the book of Daniel that Daniel and the children of Israel, the Israelites, they... They chose to put aside the king's food and the king's bread. And they ate what the Lord had told them to eat. And we call that now the Daniel fast. The Bible says God blessed them, promoted them, caused them to become more healthy. And it far exceeded the king's understanding. He's like, how can that be? And I'm here to tell you this. I don't believe people over a certain age should just fast water. I don't believe that because I believe, like, I, I grab at my dad all the time. Dad, you, my dad will go on some, some extreme fast. And I'm like, Dad, I understood you could do that in your 30s and 40s, but hey, man, that's not healthy now. I don't believe God wants you to put your body at risk in any way. i got to be honest with you. There's a lot of times at my age, there's plates I need to push away. <laughs> yeah? But fasting's not a diet. Now, out of the benefit of a fast... I get to lose weight. I mean, that's a good win-win here. But what fasting is, is fasting is you taking a season of time and you saying, Lord, I desire your presence. God, I want to be close to you. God, I need to experience a moment or a time with you deeper than just regular time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take myself and not just live like I normally do. I'm going to change the way I do things and put myself in an unnormal living behavior so I can see you in an unusual way. And when we when we, what we do is we lay things aside for a time and what we do during that time is it keeps us 
pushing the flesh down so that, i got to be honest with you, in the natural, people have no problem understanding that your body going through pain at certain times is good for you. What's the old saying? No pain, no gain. I don't go to the gym because every time I do for the next few days, I'm sore. And I don't like that. I'd rather starve than work out. Jennifer would rather work out than starve. But me, I'm the other way. But that's not... People, you say, I go to the gym and people are like, oh, they respect that. Spiritually speaking, man, my body, my flesh wants things all the time. And the truth is, there's sometimes my fleshly desires get stronger than my spiritual desires. And when that happens, that should be a telltale sign for me that it's, that's when I should fast. And that's when I should need to tell my fleshly desires, Hey flesh, you're not going to control me. God's going to control me. And for this season, I'm going to put something that my flesh wants to the side. So that my spirit can be in control of what God has for me to have. And so what we do is we take the first 21 days. We don't, it's not necessarily the first 21 days. We're starting today. Over the next 21 days, corporately as a church and corporately churches around the world, there's millions moving into the fasting movement today. They're going to be taking the step and saying, I'm going to consecrate the next 21 days to pushing something away. And tell my flesh, you're not in control. Your desires are not in control. Now, there are some that will fast just water. I'll tell you what me and Jen usually do. Me and Jen usually do three days liquid fast. Then we kick in the rest of the time. Daniel fast. Uh, we're not gonna, I'm just going full on Daniel fast this year. Um, because my kids are joining with our fast with us this year. And so we're doing it as a family. So I'm not going to starve an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and 3-year-old. You know? So this will be the first year they're going to join in our fast with us. Um, the fast is, is what the fast is saying is this, though. And it doesn't make sense. I totally agree. It don't make sense. Diets to people make sense. But fasting, that don't make no sense. What we're doing, we're doing that. We're, what Daniel fast is basically this. No sweets, no meats, no bread, only water. For 21 days. So what it basically comes down to is vegetables and waters. <laughs> and the easier way for us to say this is, if it grows from the ground, we can eat it. And you think, that's cool. You know, that's easy. Wait till day seven. And you cannot eat enough salad to get full. But you'll start seeing that, man, the flesh has been in control. You're not starving. I'm telling you, there are people that live that way. Vegan lifestyles and all that stuff. And, but, but you'll see how controlled... You were of your fleshly desires. That's how hard the struggle will be. And during the next 20 days, we're going to do that. And you say, Cricket, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. I agree, things just don't make sense. But I want to tell you why I believe the Lord told me that person. Because my mind tells me the same thing. Yours does. Do we really need to fast? Yeah, you do. Jesus said, when you fast, you do. And this is one of the reasons I was praying, God, why, why are you wanting me and my family to join into this this year? Because I just don't want to do it out of religious habit. I don't want to do it because everybody else is doing it. I want to do it because of my personal relationship with the Lord. And this is what the Lord showed me this year. The Lord showed me when Jesus got ready to start His ministry. He was moving into a new season of His life. 
The Bible says he showed up at the River Jordan. And when he showed up at the River Jordan, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says he went up to John the Baptist, who the Bible says was to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way for Jesus. In other words, he was to come first. And his message was, repent and be baptized. And so Jesus, that's what John the Baptist was repenting. Repent, I mean preaching, repent and be baptized. And he was baptizing people in the River Jordan. Jesus showed up there and was ready to start the season of his ministry. And the Bible says that the first thing he did is he went up to John the Baptist. And he said, I need to be baptized. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. Because John the Baptist's message alone was repent and be baptized. And Jesus had nothing to repent for. He had never sinned. He had never failed. So he couldn't do that. But he also understood, I believe Jesus understood, the power of submission. He, because the Roman centurion soldier in his life said this. He says, I am like you. I'm a man of authority. I have authority because I'm under authority. And he said, the centurion said, just speak a word and it would be done. Jesus submitted himself to spiritual authority in his life. And when he submitted himself to spiritual authority, he couldn't repent, but he could be baptized. And so the Bible says when he got into the River Jordan, that they, uh, John the Baptist actually, well, before that, John the Baptist argued because it made no sense. He said, man, I'm unworthy to baptize you. You should baptize me. It didn't make any sense. Why would Jesus let John the Baptist baptize him? This is the Son of God, but because Jesus knew. A lifestyle of submission releases the power of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says this. The Bible says when he put himself under, John the Baptist put him down, and when he came up, the Bible says the heavens opened. Nowhere in the Bible at this point did it say the Holy Spirit came and set upon Jesus' life. His mother had had an experience with the Holy Ghost. People around him had had experiences with the Holy Ghost. But it was when Jesus was willing to submit himself, which he didn't have to. He was the Son of God. He said, you know, a lifestyle of submission allows the Holy Spirit to come upon your life. So why am me and my family doing it this year? Because the Lord told me, he said, Cricket, if you'll submit your flesh to me, this year I'm going to release the Holy Spirit into your life like you've never experienced before. So I'm going into this year into my past, pushing around. And you say, it don't make no sense. Well, I agree. <laughs> Why? How does that submission? Because when you desire the Lord enough to say no to desires that you're not going to die from, I promise you, anyone in this room that chooses to join this 21-day fast, if we do it healthily, you will not die. Will I promise you it will be pleasurable? Oh no, you will not enjoy it. There have been years I fasted Cokes. That may be where you are. There have been years that I've fasted, you know what I'm saying, just sweets. There have been years because of my work schedule and jobs and working in construction that what I would fast is breakfast, lunch, and then just eat dinner. There are years that I would eat breakfast and then not eat the... I don't know what fast God is speaking to you, but there's all different kinds of fasts. But I want to put this before you. If you want to go into this season experiencing God at a level that you've never experienced because this is a new season. This is not just a new year. It's a new decade. This thing is different. This is a time of breakthrough that I believe that some of us have been waiting for a long season. Now, when Jennifer was pregnant, I'm, I'm, telling, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to drink water. I'm telling you, you need to do this healthily. 
if you're over a certain age, and I would just speak an age, I'm going to say if you're over 50, you need to consider how to do this healthily. Because you're not going to be able to do it at the same level a 20-year-old will be able to do it. I'm just serious. Jesus fasted 40 days, but he was only 30. Alright? So, what I'm telling you is this. But I do believe every person in here that desires a heaven to open and the dove to come. Do you realize that God, Jesus at that point had never been led by the Spirit, the Bible says? Do you realize that up to that point, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, had never sent ministering angels to minister strength into His life until that point? There is power to be said in a lifestyle of submission. And if you say, God, it don't make no sense, and I don't really understand it all, but I want more of you. And I'm willing to make that desire stronger than the desire for cake or ice cream or steak. Or There's been people I know that fasted football. That's a tough one because we're in the playoffs. there's, There's people that fasted TV, people that fasted seafood. My dad, his favorite fish, our favorite food in the world is fried catfish. And a couple years ago, he fasted fried catfish for a year. Don't make no sense. But I tell you, I've seen God do miracles in our family that we would not have gotten through without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so what I'm telling you is this. We're moving into a season. We're going into a 21-day fast. And so we don't want you to do it alone. As a matter of fact, we want to build a support system with you. In just a few minutes, the is going to pass around a sign-up sheet if you want to join this fast with us. Also, we have resources available for you today if you do sign this up. We don't want you to just go in blind. We want you... There's a 21-day playbook of fasting that you'll go through daily. I want you, if you sign up, to put your cell phone number on there so that we can text you out daily devotionals and things. And you can text back with us, me and dad, and going into this fast. Also, there are going to be people that have already signed up that are choosing days. They're signing up to choose a whole day just to pray for those that are on the fast. They're passing that around in Camden today. We'll be getting in next week to fill it on out to where people will be specifically praying for you and your family during this fast. And we're going to be um, doing... um, we will be giving out menus and things like that. If you are interested in this fast, our ushers are going to pass out, pass around these sign-up sheets. You sign up on it. If you sign up on it after service, Tanya, wave, wave at me. She's right back there. She'll have your pamphlet ready for you to hand to take home today. But then we will start sending out text and things. You say, well, Cricket, what, what? And this is not a fast. If you hate green beans, and you're going to give up green beans for 21 days. That's not a fast. There's a fast actually in the Bible called a pleasant bread fast. And you just give up your favorite. What you what is your favorite? You give that up for twenty one days. Whether it be Coke, whether it be Dr. Pepper, whether it be you know Red Bulls and those kind of things. And um, so whatever it is, me and Jennifer, we always the worst part about the fast for me and Jen is this. We know we're about to have a caffeine headache by Tuesday. So we don't fast Tylenol. We keep Tylenol on our list. Because we, me and Jen, live on caffeine. And so going into that, saying this, join the fast. And put God to the test. If, if you need God at a greater level going into this new season, which I promise you, you do, join on it at some level, wherever you are. Join at some level. Lay something aside for 21 days. Amen? And you'll be, we'll be building support systems around through that. That's that announcement. Y'all ready to get into today's? 
I've got just a couple minutes. I'm going to try to do my very best at this. Um, Word of the Lord, I feel like for me to give you, it's amazing. Jerry's already preached it when he got up here. I was questioning, was this the word, Lord? Because Jennifer had such an amazing prophetic word. Mine is simply this. Let's go real quick to Psalms chapter 9, verse 13. It says this. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble for those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. Now this is David writing what I believe to us is a prophetic word for this church, me personally, in my life going into 2020. Now, 2020 is a year of vision, I believe. Perfect vision. And going into it, there's not necessarily perfect vision. When you do a study, and I'll be teaching on this, as I say, over the next couple, on what 2020 vision is. 2020 is not perfect vision, it's just clarity of vision. Because there's no such thing as perfect vision, because vision is not just the ability to have eyesight. Vision is much more. But 2020 is a perceived standard for vision. And so, going into this year, I believe this. The Lord is saying that 2020 will be a year, like David said, to lift me up. I believe that the word of the Lord for you this year will be, this will be a year God is going to raise you up. Here in this story, David's talking about, oh Lord, deliver me from my troubles. I don't know what 2019 was for you, but it was kind of a mixed bag for me. I won on a bunch of fronts, but man, I fought the devil on a bunch of fronts too. It was like I was fighting with one hand and trying to praise with the other. 2019 was a tough year in some areas. The 2019 was a year at, when it began, I believe the Lord gave us the vision of we would see it this year. And I did see it. And I know there's some people in here because I've had conversations with people through the year that at the beginning of last year, God gave you a vision of what He was calling you to do. I believe this. In 2019, He put that vision on the inside of you. I believe in 2020, if we allow God to do what He wants to do in us, the vision that's on the inside of you will become to the outside of you. While He has worked on you, you know God has given you, then it's going to move to the outside. Was it cricket? I wasn't here in 2019 when it started. Let me real quick let God speak a vision into your life real quick. Close your eyes, bow your heads real fast. God is no respecter of people. He has a plan for you. And so I just want you to simply say, God, what is the vision you want me to do? And then say this, Lord, I would like to. And then you tell him something right now you would like to do for him. And if you can see yourself doing anything for God, that's the beginning step of the vision God has for your life because the devil don't want you to do anything for God. He wants God would only be the one telling you to do something. And so look at me real quick again. If you saw yourself doing something for God, that's the first step in your vision. And then the book of Psalms says, Lord, the Lord orders our steps. That's where it starts. You got a step. You got something that you can see God wants you to do. So if you can see God wants you to do it, 2020 will be the year you start doing it. And I want to play this out real quick in this way. David said this. He said, Lord, look at all my troubles and lift me up. He knew he couldn't do this by himself. God does not expect you to fulfill the visions of your life by yourself. And I declare and I prophesy over you. If you will allow the Holy Spirit to have His way in your life this year, you will accomplish what you see God using you to do. Now, in flight school this year, they taught me some things. I, I, they taught me how to... Um, get from being ground-footed 
to air-footed. In other words, they taught me how to get off the ground. Now, I didn't understand that a lot of times. I had a preconceived notion in my mind of what it meant to go from standing to flying when I got there. But when I got in the cockpit for the first time of a plane, totally changed my perspective on how to fly. What I learned in the process of learning to fly was this. And this is what some of you guys have experienced in 2019. I read it on Facebook the other day. It said this. 2019 said, it didn't kill you, did it? Some of you guys have been right there this year. You say, Cricket, I've been fighting hell and high water, but I'm here to tell you, it didn't kill you, did it? I'm here to explain something to you this morning about that in your life. The reason why it didn't kill you, because it was all part of God's plan. When you're learning to fly, David said, Lord, lift me up. Lord, take me to another level. Elevate me. Jerry, 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 when he was up here, he said, some people moving left or right, God's wanting to lift you up. What God is going to do this year in your life and over the next 10 years, He will begin the process of elevation, taking you to another level, a higher place in your life. And if you allow God to do this, you understand only God can do this in your life. It's not going to be my might. It's not going to be by power. It's going to be by His Spirit only. Let me explain to you what last year was. When you get in a plane to learn to fly, when you go out to the runway, first thing that happens is this. You don't just get on the runway to take off. They pull you up in the bend of the runway, and you have to do what they call the run-up. Now, they got a picture of the instruments. I think I texted it. Did you all get that or not? If you did, okay, would you pull up? That's what the cockpit of the plane that I fly looks like. It's a Cherokee, a Piper Cherokee 170. And when I first got in that cockpit, I was completely blown away by all of those gadgets and all of those gadgets. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be such... I'm not going to be able to do this. This is the hardest thing. I mean, I'm looking at all these things that none of them move what I think is normal. They move backwards. They move side. It's all these weird movements of all these instruments. But it takes every one of these instruments to fly a plane safely, to get from the ground to get to the air. And the thing about it is, when you get in that bend of the runway, before you're allowed to enter to the runway, what they do is they do, you have to do what they call the run-up. You have to do all of your instrument checks. Because before you can take off, them instruments aren't real important while you're on the ground. But the minute your wheels leave the ground, every one of them are lifesavers. And so you have to make sure that every one of them are working. And every one of them have to be readjusted. Because while you're flying a plane, the magnetic charges of the engines and all that will readjust your compasses and pull them off two or three, not, uh, two or three degrees and things like that. So if you're into a situation where you can only fly by instruments and they're just two or three degrees off, you will not land where you think you're supposed to land. So you have to do the safety check and making sure everything's correct and properly. But that's not the most important test in that run-up. After you go through all of those, next is what they call the static test, which is as important as any part of the flight that you're about to take off on. The static test is this. You, after you do all of your instruments and all of your gauges, you pull your throttle down to idle and then you push on the brake as hard as you possibly can and then you engage your throttle and you have to let that motor run as hard and as hot as it can possibly run you need to get your rpms up to about 27,000 rpms and i got to be honest with you when you got your pre- your brake press and you give it everything it's got and you're not going anywhere you feel like that plane's about to fall apart that plane is rattling and busting and moving and, blah, and it, i got to be honest with you it's uneasy i would never do that to my car 
Because I would think I'm about to blow my car motor up. But there's a purpose for the static test. Because when in just a few minutes you're about to have that plane put on the runway. When you get that plane on the runway, the first thing you do is you push that throttle in. You have to get your RPMs up to at least 2,500 RPMs before that plane will be ready to take off. But the thing about it is if you weren't going to do the static test, if you would not know that that motor is ready to handle the 25 or get to the 27, there's a great chance that on your climb up, before you get to 1,100 feet, that plane, if it cannot handle 2,700 RPMs, you might lose power on your way to 25, and most plane crashes happen on the takeoff. If you notice, if you were watching last week, the LSU plane that killed the six people, they crashed 900 feet off the runway. They got to 900 feet, Power failed and they fell out of the sky. While I was in flight school, as a matter of fact, one of the instructors in the plane that I was to fly that morning, and by a divine miracle of God, God repositioned my schedule. God gave a pastor a warning. He gave it to my wife. I changed my schedule. That plane that I was supposed to be in that morning took off. They did not perform a static test. And they got up to 700 feet and the plane fell out of the sky. Killed the student and the uh, pilot. has been through multiple surgeries and they're still processing through the recovery situation. You don't understand how important the static test is. Because before you can fly, you got to make sure that motor can handle it. Let me tell you what 2019 was for you. It was your static test. Because God's got such great plans for what He wants to use you to do this year. But He had to make sure your motor could handle the climb. So some of you guys have been wondering, why in the world, God, why did you allow that? Why, Bobby? Because He was getting you ready to get to a level that you were never at before. Then you move around and you got to position yourself. After you pass, when you know that this is the cool part about it, you know you're ready. You say, well, how long do I got to go through this? Well, when you push that throttle in and you got that braking and that plane is flapping and papping and moving, you don't watch the RPMs anymore. What you start watching is the oil pressure. Because when the oil pressure gauge begins to rise, you know you're safe to take off. Some of you guys are saying, God, Cricket, why has it been so hard? Because God has been raising the oil pressure in your life. What you went through last year has been releasing anointing for you to be able to carry yourself where God's wanting to carry you. He, you been going through that bumpy heart. You feel like you've been going nowhere. You've just been fighting hell. So you're about to blow your motor up. You're pushing yourself to the limits and you're not climbing any higher than where you've been. It's because God put you through a static test so He could get your oil pressure up, get your motors ready to rev so that you can fly to a height that you can handle in just a few minutes. We are moving into the few minute season. Now, in 2000, what you do now is what I felt like the Lord prophetically told me is we are no longer in the curve of the runway. We are no longer in the pre-flight rundown. What God has done now in 2020 is He's positioned us on the runway. Now, this is the process. So David said this, Lord, lift me up out of this thing. You need to understand going into this year what it takes to take off. For you to get to another level, for you to get above what it's been, for you to go to the new places that God has for you this year, when you position yourself on the runway, First thing you got to do is you call in and you ask the tower, is it clear? Or is anybody coming in at you? And they tell you, no, are you clear? Fly. Go ahead and enter. When you get on there, it's all up to you. They don't tell you, go ahead or anything like that. As a matter of fact, every time I got to that point, my instructors would tell me this. All right, go when you're ready. I love that. 
Because it was completely up to me to take off when I got... I'm here to tell somebody, you're going to go this year when you're ready. God's ready for you to go. The thing about the first half of the runway on a takeoff is this. And this is a total reverse train of thinking. Because the natural reaction every time I went to take off in an airplane was grab the yoke and turn the wheel. But, but you need to know this. When you're going to take off, when you're getting from this level to the next elevated level, you don't start off driving with your hands. You drive the plane completely with your feet. That's hard to grasp. Because we've been taught our whole life, you drive cars with your hands. But you have to fly the plane with your feet. So when you push that throttle in, and you don't understand that it's your feet controlling the direction of that plane, you'll grab that wheel and you'll... And i got to be honest with you, you think that's simple, Matt, but it's not. Because natural reaction is to grab that wheel and try to take control of it on your own, but it's your feet. I'm here to tell somebody this. God's not elevating you because you haven't started using your feet. You need to start walking in the direction of the vision that God has told you to walk in. He's not waiting on you. I mean, you're not waiting on Him. You just need to start walking. But cricket, I don't feel like God's lifting me up yet. He's not. He's waiting on you to use your feet. You need to start stepping. You need to start going toward it. You say, well, cricket, I don't know if my feet can fly. Your feet aren't going to fly. Because the way you take off in a plane and which way you know to take off in the plane is you always take off in the direction of the wind. See, I take off different almost every day on the airports because the wind determines what direction I take off in because you have to fly into the wind. The planes cannot take off on them. They need the wind to go. You're not going to be able to do this thing on your own. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. But you're going to have to be willing to trust the power of the Holy Spirit is in front of you when you can't see it. So you're going to have to use your feet to start going that direction. Now, the plane that I fly doesn't take off until I get to 70 knots. When I get to 70 knots, which is you know pretty fast, in a plane when you're driving with your feet because the wind's blowing and all that kind of stuff. When, when you start driving with your feet, you don't even touch the yoke. But when that RPMs get to 70 knots, whether I want it to or not, that plane leaves the ground. I don't have a choice in the factor anymore. I go start going in a direction and then the wind begins to take control of the plane. You need to know that if you'll just start, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to take over when you get to a place of your elevation that you can't control anymore. There is a place that you'll get to that the Holy Spirit will start functioning through you and start doing things for you that will begin to promote you. Elevation, the Lord said this, He's about to promote somebody this year into a place that you do not have the ability or the might to do. You would say, well, Cricket, this is for everybody but me. No, I want to draw this back real quick. Now, I'm going to dismiss you. David said this. David said, he said, have mercy on me, O Lord. The enemy's been telling somebody in here that because they didn't cross every T or dot every I in 2019, because they didn't get everything just right, because their prayer life was not where it was supposed to be, their Bible life was not supposed to be, that there's no way God can do what He wanted to do in them because they didn't get everything right in 2019. You made too many mistakes. You fell short too many times. I'm here to tell you. You don't, it ain't even about your ability. It ain't about your might. It's about the mercy of God. None of us deserve to fly this year. None of us deserve to be elevated this year. None of us deserve. And I want you to know something. Your past and your mistakes and the decisions that you might have fallen short in do not, does not, will not affect you this year if you'll just decide to start using your feet to go where God has told you to go. His mercy is new, not just every, every decade. It says every morning. So every day you blew it. Every day you failed. Every day you 
you disqualified yourself last year to keep you from moving into this next season, you need to know this. It will not affect what God can do in year 2010. Somebody needs to grab hold of this and say, this is a new year. This is a new day. His mercy never fails. It's new every morning. And I don't care where I blew it last year. This year, God's going to elevate me to a place that I know that I'm supposed to be living. Next thing is this. I'm done. I keep saying that. It says, David said, Lord, lift me up. When you take off, the first thing you do when you get to 70 knots, when life starts getting faster than what I can control anymore with my feet, the Holy Spirit takes over. And it starts making that plane do things that I could not make that plane do. That plane begins to fly because of the wind that begins to get under that wing. You will be able to do things you weren't able to do this year. Because the Holy Spirit's going to begin to work in your life in ways that you did not know even that He could. This will be the year God's wanting to elevate you to a place to be able to accomplish things you never thought you could. But the way that plane begins to get to where it's supposed to do is I have to change the angle of my direction. What that means is this. You know, a plane takes off, every plane that is designed has a VR number, which is your rate of speed to velocity rate for the takeoff, but also has a VX, which is the angle you have to set that plane on to take off for it to climb at a safe thing. My VR in the um, Piper Cherokee is a VR64. When we take off, I'm to set my I pull the yoke back to get that plane at a 64 degree angle. And at a 64 degree angle at a 70 knot speed, with a 900 RPM, I should be able to climb within just about a minute and a half to 1,100 feet and get into smooth sailing. But that means this. When I go to take off, I have to quit looking at the ground. I have to change my direction of my sight. And I have to begin to look at what I know is a 64 degree angle. You need to know that somebody's got to quit looking at what's going on around you. The Bible says, where does my help come from? I look to the hills because my help comes from the Lord. You need to understand, you've been looking at this stuff and this situation you've been going through. You're thinking, how in the world? There's no way. You need to get your eyes pointed up to where God's about to take you. You need to quit looking at your mate and start looking in the Word and seeing what your marriage is supposed to be. You need to quit looking at your boss and start looking at the Word and see how God can promote you and it only comes from the Lord. You need to quit looking at your body and saying, Lord, this thing's getting worse and worse and start looking at the Word and say, your latter days are going to be greater than your former days. You need to get your eyes angled up. Because that's where this is going to come from this year. You're not going to do it on your own. Next is this. As that plane begins to climb, we, there's a, um, a little knob right up above you that you twist and it turns the trim. Because if your trim is set right... The fight is over. What I mean by that is, this, my one of my instructors blew my mind. He said, "All right, we're going to take off, but this time I don't want you to use your hands at all." I said, "Man, you must be crazy." He said, "No, I'll show you." We took off, and he just—he never touched the yoke. He just twisted this thing back. He just kept setting the tilt of the plane, and we took off. We leveled out. He turned that booger around all just by this this thing. Because see, what happens is most people grab hold to the yoke. They never mess with their tilt, and so. What they're doing is constantly fighting 
they're fighting um, what it really is. Your, your tilt is changed by the rate of your speed. Every speed that you fly has a, has a tilt that if you'll set that tilt right, you don't even have to touch anything. The plane will fly itself. God has designed you for what you're destined to be. Most of us want to keep the hands on the wheel and fight this thing. And I've got to be honest with you. You can be doing, you know, you'll be up flying and everything's going great, but you're pulling and you don't even realize that you're struggling on that yoke so much because you're so intense when you first start. Everything going on, you think you're flying the plane, you've got to know something. You're just fighting the plane. The plane's flying itself. But if I just reach up here and I twist this little thing here and I take the pressure off the yoke, I can let go of everything and that plane will just fly and it's so peaceful. There's no fight. You need to trust the way God made you. Quit fighting to be something different. God made you exactly the way He made you for you to accomplish what He has for you. And the Bible says what He has for you is good. But you keep fighting to be something else and you keep trying to fight to take control of that. You need to know this. If you'll just keep your eyes on the Lord, you'll put your life in the direction of the wind of the Holy Spirit and you'll just begin to use your feet to get you going in that direction. There won't be a fight to it. The battle belongs to the Lord. He will go before you and He will fight every enemy around you and you can just coast. Have you ever seen people go through battles and it's like they're not going through anything? It's like they're just walking through this stuff and there you are just strand hair all out of her struggling over something half the size of what they are. They've learned to trust the way God's made them. They've learned to put their trust in the Lord. I'm here to tell you this. If you will understand that this is a year that God's going to elevate you. The prophetic word I have for you this year is this. It's either a promotion or it's an elevation over your life. If you will simply put yourself in the right position And you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to do His work. And you trust the direction He's leading you and you just begin walking. God's going to get you to heights you never thought you could be. But then David said this. You said, well, Cricket, how do I do that? Here in our text it said this. That I may tell you of all your praises. That's why we have specifically set going into this year. We're beginning to humble ourselves through the process of a fast today. Over the next 21 days. We're asking God to open the heavens and send the Holy Spirit down. Then what we're asking the Lord is this. We're saying, Lord, I'm going to go into this thing and I'm going to go in this thing praising. David said this, lift me to a new level and let me praise. So next weekend, we're going to focus on praise. I understand some people will come to one, some people will come to two. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to get to that next level? Because the step that you take toward praising God this year will be the level of how high He can take you. So we're starting this year off, one, today by submitting. Number two, we're going to move into a year of praise. Your battle is going to be won by the level of your praise. A lot of people want to praise in private. I feel like the Lord told me this, we have to move our praise to a public platform this year. Your praise can't just be done in your prayer closet anymore. It's time for the praises to come to the public platform. And you'll see those that learn to praise at the highest level will be the ones that God elevates. 
to the highest level this year. It's not about what you did last year. It's not about the mistakes that you made or the things that you got right because His mercies endureth forever. But what it's about is what direction you're walking and how loud your praise is before people. Because I'm not ashamed of what God's going to do in my life. I've been waiting for this thing for a long time. This is the year that God's going to set free. This is the year that God's going to deliver. Let me, I'll read these scriptures to you real quick. Isaiah 64 said this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. See, when Jesus allowed Himself to be submitted, the book of Mark uses a different word than the other books use. It says the heavens opened. And it's actually the same Greek word out of that scripture that says rend, which actually means terror. Isaiah said that the heavens would be torn and the Holy Spirit would come down. Jesus submitted Himself before people and before the Lord. And the heavens were torn open and the Holy Spirit came down. Now, I believe the Lord had told me this. If we would make our praise so public that we'll tear the heavens open, God would send the Holy Spirit down. And what comes out of that is this. And Ezekiel 1 says this, Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month of the fifth day of that month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions from God. Your visions that you have seen will begin to be lived this year. If you will position yourself, you will make your praise public. And you let the Holy Spirit come down and begin to work. I'm here to tell you, God's been waiting for this year as long as you have. And I don't believe this will just be a 12-month season we're moving into. I believe we will begin to see the work of the Lord this year and it will continue on for the next decade. We're going to see more people saved. We're going to see more power of the Holy Spirit move and empower. I believe we're going to see healings and change. How crazy is that? Out of all the churches in Arkansas, that Carmen would want us. Because I believe this, God's given our church an opportunity to tear open the heaven. And I would love to say, everybody's going to get it. I can't. All I can do is say that I'm the only one that has the choice whether I'm in or not. Because, just like it says, when you pray or when you give or when you fast, there's some people that just won't make spiritual things priority as others. But I'm telling you, those that will, God will elevate, God will exalt, and God will lift up in this next season so that others will know how to follow. God's looking for people that He can move up to help those that have no idea how to get there to be an example that they can follow. That's why it has to become public praise. I'm going to dismiss you at this. I'm making the commitment today with my family. We're moving into a fast. I'm going to take the next week going into this and I'm going to humble myself saying, God, I'm willing to do anything to have you in my life. David said this, Lord, do whatever you want, but don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Fasting is a submission and a humbling position that you take. Saying, God, you're more important than my desires. Then I'm going to move into this season. I'm going to move into a praising. I'll be at all three services next weekend because I don't want to take a chance of a heaven being ripped open and me not being there. I want the Holy Spirit to come down and empower me. I don't just want it. I need it. I need it because 
This is a legacy season for our church. Let me tell you what we're doing as a church. The Bible says going to all the world, teach the gospel, going to Jerusalem, Samaria. These are three steps that I believe, and you'll hear them over the next times I preach. There are three areas I believe the Lord told us as a church to go after this year. One will be locally. Locally, the Lord wants to give us land in this city. And we've got four and a half years. And I believe the Lord has laid on our first step. So the first thing we're having to do is, and I'm, I'm putting the gun on it, over the next 60 days, we're going to have our deacons in this campus. That's why you've got to go to membership class. You've got to go to that class. You've got to be able to vote. Because you're going to be voting on your leaders that are going to help us go there. And you don't get to vote if you're not a member. So you've got to get there, all right? So over the next week, get in membership class. It's 45 minutes to an hour after service. Number two, we're going to buy land and we're going to build locally. Number two, nationally, we are planting another campus within the next 60 days out of this campus. We're going to be starting a Monroe campus on Sunday night out of the Elderated Victory Church. We're going to be going there. We're going to start Sunday night services. We're already, we got Sunday night there. I'm going to ask people to get on board with this to help plant Victory. We've got 80 plus families that have connected with this to our television program that say we need a church like Victory. So I believe we're going to go locally. We're going to go nationally. We're going to reach into another city and let God use us. But then I believe this, the Lord laid on my that we need to go globally. We're going to either build a church or dig a well. This campus is going to do that this year somewhere in the world to help people come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And you'll be able to get on board three different ways. You can either physically participate. You can support spiritually, pray and cover us. Or you can financially give to help these things come apart. Or you can do all three. But that's the goal and the vision we have for this church. We're going to do, we're going to buy a piece of property because we're going to build a building. We're going to plant another campus in another city. And then we're going to make a difference in the world personally. Some of us will go there and do the work. So we're going to be laying this out over the nation. That's the vision. God wants to use you to live beyond yourself. He cares more about you doing something for the kingdom of God than Him doing something for your household. Because if you'll let Him do something for the, use you for the kingdom of God, He'll take care of your house. Think about it. God has called us to be more than who we are. We're moving into a season of legacy. We're going to make a difference in people's lives that will live beyond our days and our years. Father God, I thank You for this year. Thank You for the opportunity to come before You. God, we can't do this without You. God, we can't go anywhere and don't want to go anywhere without You. So Lord, I ask You to clearly give us 2020 vision. Let us clearly see the direction that we're to go in for each household, each marriage, each father, each mother, each grandparent. See them see what this year can be. See what You want this season in their life to accomplish. And Lord, we just make the decision. We're going to position ourselves in the direction of the wind. Holy Spirit, we need You to accomplish these things. So we position ourselves and we're going to begin to walk. And as we begin to walk, Lord, I thank You that You're going to move into our situations and cause us to go to places that we couldn't go on our own. And Lord, I thank You that You're going to use each one of our lives to be more than what we could make our own lives be. You're going to cause us to live beyond who we are. Make impacts beyond what we would ever do. And we will change generations beyond the time that we will be here. I thank you that you are calling our church to become a legacy church. One that makes a difference for the next generation and the next generation and the next city and the next city and the next nation and the next nation. Thank you for letting us be a part of your divine kingdom. And Lord, I declare right now in the name of Jesus, you are taking every one of us to another level in the name of
of your mighty name. In Jesus' name.